pray this finds you healthy, safe, and confident along your journey to wealth as a legacy. This podcast is for anyone and everyone who loves sisterhood as much as I do. Anyone who has a sister, a daughter, a mother, a grandmother, or a great-grandmother can appreciate and benefit from the evolution of sisterhood. In honor of Women's History Month, I decided to explore this evolution of great women and what happens when Black women come together in a sisterhood or a sorority. My grandmother, the late Bessie Pearl Horn, would often share with me advice and wisdom. And when I became frustrated with what appeared to be a lack of progress along my journey, she would say to me, Princess, it's hard to see the full picture when you're posing for it. This was and remains a constant reminder for me to take a step back and look at the bigger picture because everyone has a few blind spots along the road to life and legacy. This month, which is also my birthday month, is always a time of new beginnings. A time to reflect on the questions of the last 12 months that have been answered just by traveling along the journey. As I reviewed the many different Black women who were being elevated and acknowledged and the thousands, if not billions, of allocated funds that are growing and growing in pursuit of helping and supporting even more amazing versions of Black women. I'm reminded of a research study I did years ago concerning the 100-year journey of Black women's movements. I decided to revisit the work and put it in a frame around the big picture of sisterhood. As I do with everything, I look at things through the lens of business and I translate what I find within a narrow road framework. And so I work with people across the country to educate on ways to develop a better relationship with money so that we all can define wealth for ourselves. Definitions matter along the narrow road. And one definition that I want you to really be mindful of as we look at the evolution of sisterhood is that there's a difference between a story and a narrative. For me, legacy is a narrative and your life is a story. A story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a narrative, if you remain connected to it, never ends. If someone sits with you long enough, they will hear the favorite parts of your life story over and over again. But a narrative, as I define it, is a narrative, a legacy that did not begin with you and will not end with you unless you disconnect your story from its continuance to journey further down a road that leads to wealth. So we all inherit a narrative. We all have the opportunity to choose to connect our story to the broader narrative of our collective lives, however we choose to. The narrative of sisterhood is a powerful one. It reveals what happens when a baby girl becomes a woman and takes her miracle working power to birth something. The miracle of birth is a power that God gave women. Birthing the ability to bring new life is an amazing opportunity. Women, specifically Black women, are able to birth amazing things that change things for the better. Our legacy proves this. When you think about Black women and you think about how each generation of Black women, mothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers, birth the three generations of change needed to build legacy wealth. When you think about a community, think of all the women who tirelessly work in your zip codes, making ways out of no way. When you think of a university, thank Mary McLeod Bethune and Dean Erica James, the first African-American Dean of the Wharton Business School. When you think of institutions of positive change, think of the founders of Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated, Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, and Xi Theta, Theta Phi Beta Incorporated, and Sigma Gamma Rho Incorporated all institutions well over a hundred years old that have been 
indoctrinating the traditions and legacies of sisterhood generation after generation. When you think about birthing a business, I want you to thank Clara Brown, who lived from, the eight, from 1800 to 1885. She established a laundry business in 1850 during the American gold rush. And at the age of 56, she received her freedom. She used her skills to pull money, to invest in real estate, and to own a portfolio of 16 lots and 17 houses and other property and mines in Colorado. Miss Clara wasn't even done after that. She actually paved the way for more than 16 relatives who were former slaves to move to Colorado. When we think about birthing a business, we have to think about the sisterhood that it took to surround around Janice Bryant Howard, who is the founder and the CEO of Act One Group, which is the first black woman to own a billion dollar company that operates in 19 countries with over 17,000 clients in 2,600 employees worldwide. When you think about the miracle working power of birthing the highest dimension of leadership, I've observed how seeing is believing for most people. That while women have always been in leadership positions, oftentimes they have not been acknowledged. For instance, women did not gain the right to vote in the U.S. until 1920. And even then, Black people, women among them, still could not vote in most of the South. But in the 1960s, Black women helped organize the civil rights movement, but were still kept out of leadership positions. Today, Black female mayors lead several of the biggest U.S. cities, including Atlanta, Chicago, and San Francisco. Black women are police chiefs, gubernatorial candidates, and in growing numbers, Congresswomen. In 1968, 38-year-old Charlene Mitchell of Ohio became the first Black woman to run for president. Other independent Black female presidential candidates include community organizer Margaret Wright, who ran on the People's Party ticket in 1976, and Isabel Masters, a teacher who created her own third party called Looking Back, called Looking Back and ran in 1984 1992, and 2001. In 1998, psychologist Lenora Fulani became the first woman of the African, African-American descent to appear on the ballot in all 50 states. Lenora Fulani is an amazing woman in her own right, but she is also the mother of one of my dearest classmates, Ayinka Fulani. And so running as an independent, she received more votes for president in the U.S. election than any other female candidate before her. Teacher Monica Moorhead of the Workers' World Ticket ran for president in 1996, 2000, and 2016. And lastly, in 1972, the year I was born, Shirley Chisholm became the first Black female member of Congress she had for years of experience in public office and a national reputation when she became the first Black American woman to seek the Democratic presidential nomination. 1972 was not long ago. And she had the courage to have a campaign slogan that was unbought and unbossed. Miss Shirley Chisholm, Mrs. Shirley Chisholm, who mostly paid for her campaign on her credit card, focused on civil rights and poverty. As I connected the dots of the evolution of sisterhood for this podcast, I became ever more clear about why it's important that I encourage you to ensure you connect your life story with this masterful narrative of sisterhood. The sisterhood narrative for me that really speaks to this evolution of sisterhood, picks up its torch in 1822, 199 years ago, when Harriet Tubman was born. Now Harriet lived to be 91 and is remembered for her legacy of creating a way to freedom for her friends and her family. Harriet made her first venture towards New North. And as she got to Philadelphia, which is where I am from, she soon realized that freedom isn't free without her friends and family to share it with. 
How many people know what I mean? I mean, really know that wealth is a group process and that the pursuit of wealth is a journey to be shared with those that matter most to you. Harriet and her legacy reveal this very, very important truth. While the year that she was born is almost two centuries ago, and the year that she died was in an era of great growth and change in the Black community, what happens when you look at the bigger picture of the evolution of the fact that America's original business model was slavery? It starts to embed the narrative of Black people in an interesting relationship between supply and demand and the lived reality of being assets, liabilities, and equity. The equity within the slavery narrative of America is largely embedded within the story of African-Americans. And there's a tremendous amount of equity stored up in the story of Harriet Tubman. Perhaps that's why our President Joe Biden is committed to making sure that her narrative shows up on our $20 bill. The legacy of Harriet Tubman continues in the evolution of sisterhood and many women who have ever made a way out of no way who have created a pathway where there wasn't one yet and who decided to work hard for themselves and still save up enough for their family and friends to get further down the road to freedom. Now, Harriet died in 1912, the very same year, 22 Howard University women started Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. When Harriet Tubman was born, our nation was in its 203rd year of its story of the slavery business model. That story is a story that is a part of our shared inherited narrative that is imprinted in our DNA. The fact that black women have been creators of wealth and human, social, intellectual, cultural, and spiritual capital is a part of our shared narrative. One of the things that I love most about the story of Harriet Tubman is personal. It's why I began this narrative of the evolution of sisterhood with her. Research reveals that Harriet's first save was a black woman by the name of Kasaya Jolly. And I am Pamela Jolly. And while I cannot prove that Kasaya is connected to my legacy narrative, I claim my connection to the evolution of sisterhood through the lens of Harriet Tubman as friends and colleagues when I first left corporate America to start Torch Enterprises 17 years ago today. And my business friends would call me Harriet, meaning come back for me once you get to freedom with that entrepreneurship thing. Thankfully, the road to wealth my way through entrepreneurship is a road that did lead to wealth for 17 years. I'm grateful that similar to Harriet, Harriet, I went down a road that was not traveled as much as it is today. I'm grateful that I did it myself and I go back like Harriet did, supporting mentees and young people who are starting up their organizations, prayerfully raising capital in equitable ways. Sisterhood is a powerful model. And within the narrative of sisterhood, you find so many amazing realities of what it takes to create, build, grow, and expand wealth as a legacy. For instance, when we think about traveling along the road, the Underground Railroad, you honor Harriet's legacy. The Underground Railroad of today is the road less traveled, the one that isn't made aware by social media, may not get a tweet or a like, but it's just as important all the same. What you find along this Underground Railroad is a series of steps that were navigated and are navigated by sisters who choose to connect their stories to our evolving narrative of sisterhood. The journey of sisters who navigated that road to make things easier for each successive generation. Looking for that road reveals that the evolution of sisterhood as a vision has a pattern that leads women to an understanding of what it takes to create a life with talents that they have been given, to build a lifestyle with the relationships they are blessed to make, to grow a partnership with a group of sisters that would expand into what is now 100 plus year old institutions 
and to expand the legacy, to connect through one determined life story after another across generations. I praise God for the sisters who decided to connect the dots into a business model and own a leadership stance in the progress of America. At the beginning of his presidency, the first African-American president, President Barack Obama, said that all communities must succeed so America can reach its full potential. All Americans and future citizens are inextricably linked, he said. Consequently, a spotlight must be placed on institutional transformation to reach multiple communities simultaneously. America needs to seed the change among those institutions that can be strongly influence individual outcomes. His audacity and highlighted the evolving legacy of Black women who took the time to write the vision for progress and make it plain across education, across service, and across opportunity to create the powerful institutions that we now know are sisters who have stood united across this country in service, education, and contribution. If you want to understand what an institutional model for sisterhood looks like, look to the legacies and the lived stories of the members of Alpha Kappa Alpha, Delta Sigma Theta, Zeta Phi Beta, and Sigma Gamma Rho. Also look to the National Council of Negro Women and various other Black women's groups across this country who for generations have done what needed to be done to elevate the standard of business to wealthy outcomes in our community. You see, African-American women have been powerful and they know that embedded within their power to birth things resides a legacy narrative of what happens when sisters come together to decide to ensure that their story lives on in ways that can pass on as traditions, systems, customs, structure, and influence across generations. Along my jolly journey, I sat and listened to thousands of people answer the same questions for years. I didn't understand the value then, but I'm now able to realize that part of my journey gifted me the ability to see things in patterns, to connect the dots, to step outside the picture we pose for when it comes to business and wealth. Doing so allows me to see patterns within the patterns embedded within the African-American legacy narrative. These patterns have become the steps that guide along the inherited beautiful road to wealth your way, which narrows with your choices of how to pursue it. Everyone inherits a window of opportunity. What you do with it is how you decide to pursue wealth your way. When you remain connected, the beautiful thing is that even when your story inevitably ends, the narrative still continues. The legacy narrative continues in what people remember and the wealth you transfer individually and collectively with your time, your talent, and your treasure. When you remain connected, the beautiful thing is what you do is built to last. Wealth is a perspective and you have one, which means that we, as long as we remain connected, all inherit part of our perspectives of wealth that is unique to our culture, unique to our legacy, unique to our promise. Part of our perspective is earned and this is based on what is unique to how we have lived to see and choose to both succeeded to future generations. Women, the opportunity to be able to look at the difference between seeing ourselves in the midst of a wage gap or even a wealth gap and choosing to see ourselves as an asset that continues to increase its value as we remain connected to a narrative that continues generation after generation is a part of the evolution of sisterhood that can be a powerful, powerful thing. The business reality in the American African-American community is that Black women make 71% of the financial decisions in our community. I want you to pause and think about that for a minute. The evolution of sisterhood 
is recognizing ourselves as the de facto CEO of our collective community businesses. When we think about coming together in the name of sisterhood, there are some fundamentals that I've found in the journey of Black women that I really think we need to pay attention to in the times that we live in. Upon the death of Harriet Tubman at the age of 98 years old, she left this world better than she found it. She ventured into freedom and decided that it wasn't just for her. She decided to work hard and earn the equivalent of $100,000 in today's money and ensured that her friends and family could at least see freedom from her perspective, even when while enslaved, they may not have believed it was possible. Have you ever led someone closer to where they wanted to go who was initially blind to the truth of how to get there? A pursuit of freedom requires being willing to take risks to do something you have never done to get to somewhere you have never been. I remember when I was living in New Orleans post-Katrina and a conversation that I had with a great woman by the name of Monica Dennis, who worked with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond at the time, shared with me titles of books that she suggested I read to learn more about her perspective of the power of sisterhood. I had met Monica Dennis at Reverend Dr. Renita Weems' women's retreat at the Alex Haley Farm a few years prior. And as soon as we met each other, she immediately became my big sister. After reading the books that Monica suggested, I thought about all the things that Black women had done. And I was led to do a 100-year research study of the pathways to progress that Black women have taken along the road to wealth and equity. Now, I am forever looking at patterns. And the patterns in the last 100 years when I did that research revealed to me five roadblocks that Black women have continued to encounter along their journey to wealth their way. I began to say to myself, wow, when Black women collectively choose to overcome these five roadblocks in their lifetime, the stored up equity and the collective narrative of Black women could birth a whole new economy. That economy could transform our communities, our nation, and our world. I so wanted to see this in my lifetime. And so I began my jolly journey with women and wealth as a legacy. My journey that has led to what is now the Women in Wealth Initiative didn't begin as that. It began working with a group of sisters, and we titled it The Daughter of the Dawn. After 100 years of research, looking through year after year, generation after generation, and seeing the patterns, I did a six-month qualitative study of mothers, granddaughters, mothers, grandmothers, and granddaughters. I came away with an understanding that mothers learn from their mothers that joy comes in the morning, but daughters know that change comes at dawn. That is where Daughters of the Dawn came from. Now, in the pursuit of the organization called Daughters of the Dawn, I ran into a few of the roadblocks I'm about to share in that phase of the process of guiding and a new evolution of sisterhood that I deemed was focused on wealth. The next attempt that I had at pursuing this dream I had further down the road was called womb work. I wanted women to understand the miracle of birth through the lens of business. I'm a Wharton grad. I'm a former banker. I've worked in financial services my entire career. I love the structure of the financial services industry. I thought that if we could structure a way to be able to see our miracle working power through business, that there was nothing that we could not do. But this phase of the journey hit a few other roadblocks I had found in my initial research. How many know that things worth having take time? This is what I learned in my journey to wealth exclusively for women. I'm never one to give up. If God says I'm to do something, I've learned that it's always in his timing. So I'm excited to say that the third phase of the Women in Wealth journey proved to be successful with the launch of a cohort of amazing women in Philadelphia who created, built, 
and are growing and expanding their journey to wealth their way. I want to give a special thank you to Dr. Stacy N.C. Grant and Maddie Brooks, an amazing financial advisor from Prudential, for journeying with me in this phase three. The Women in Wealth Initiative is now in its fourth phase. Check the show notes to learn more. What I found in these five roadblocks that Black women have and continue to encounter along the journey to wealth their way, I started to realize that they're patterned and they happen over and over and over and over again. And so this is what I learned about my journey to wealth, that things take time. I also learned that there are specific differences between men and women when it comes to navigating their relationships with money. Men and women have a different relationship with money and therefore different perspectives of their definition of wealth. Now, these different relationships result not in different outcomes, but in different pursuits towards the same outcomes. And so women, it's imperative that you build a better relationship with money to define wealth for yourself. Because doing so changes the road you navigate to wealth for yourself and anyone and everyone you choose to journey this life with. So here are two of the five roadblocks that I found along the 100-year journey that I researched of Black women's movements. The first roadblock that I found along the road to wealth for Black women is the importance of taking time to heal internally and externally. The road to wealth specifically for Black women carries inherited traumas. In seminary, I learned that trauma can pass on like a spirit from one generation to the next. And so looking beneath the surface of the appearances of wealth in our community, this becomes clear that taking time to heal what I call the hurt currency in your portfolio of assets is essential to overcome the invisible roadblocks that attack your journey to wealth in visible ways. The only definition of wealth that truly matters to your life story and how you connect to the narrative that we share is yours. African-Americans have an interesting relationship with money because their shared narrative has an interesting connection to business. African-Americans are the only people in America who were first capital before they ever made capital. So business can't help but be personal. And so that is why you have to get personal with your business and take time to heal the painful aspects of the journey that you personally have traveled and the memories of the journey of those who came before you. As I affectionately call it, the business of you, which is the stored up assets and capital that make you who you are. You must take the business of you, elevated standard, so it has the capacity to become the vehicle for change that gets you further down the road to wealth your way. To develop a healthy relationship with money, wealth, or anyone else, you must first create a healthy relationship with you, the business of you. Business is a series of increasingly intimate relationships that exchange value. The first and least intimate relationship in business is a transaction. So creating a life you enjoy living starts with developing a healthy transactional relationship with the business of you. Ladies, check your spending habits. Determine what percentage of your cash outflows are have-to-dos and what percentage are what and need-to-dos. See what your transactions say about the areas of your life that may need some time to heal. In the Women in Wealth Initiative, our first exploration is casting vision. And the vision that we cast navigates beyond our original relationship with money. So taking time to heal from our inherited financial trauma of being a Black woman is understanding that before the auction block, 
before our ancestors ever came over here on the shores of America in 1619, we were wealth. We have always been wealth and we will always be wealth. It's important to fully embody the fact that our shared legacy that led us to become African-Americans did not begin with slavery. When you trace your DNA, your identity, back to the roots from which your seed was planted, there is a whole different story that precedes the narrative that many of us mistakenly begin with. My dear friend, Dr. Gina Page, president of African Ancestry, has been a partner in the journey along the narrow road. I praise God for her in that she has presented to my cohorts about the importance of reclaiming your stolen identity. I encourage you to go to African Ancestry and make sure you can trace your roots to where your story really began and not get caught up in the trauma of your narrative that began in America. And so first roadblock along the road to wealth for women, that evolution of sisterhood I found, is taking time to heal is imperative. When we think about 71% of the financial decisions are made by Black women in the Black community, when we think about the reality that our Black men unfortunately often die before we do, and that oftentimes Black women take care of not just their own selves and their own life stories, but they connect the dots between the legacy they inherit by taking care of their parents, their grandparents, as well as their children and their grandchildren. Black women are the connections across generations. Black women are also the financial connections across generations. Black men seed. Black women transform the seed in their wombs to produce. Think about what that means financially and why it's important to take time to heal. Our harvest must endure for three generations for a good man to leave an inheritance that lasts that long. In my research, I found that it takes three generations to build legacy wealth, but only one generation to lose it. The good news is that when four generations remain connected, the wealth wheel begins to turn. The paradigm shifts with the transitions of positions of influence across the generations. The elders and adults that have played the major roles in the evolving narrative of the world in which we now live in is shifting. With this shift comes opportunities for rising generations who have inherited a great promise called the society we live in today. These shifts in position, leadership position, ownership position, relationship with each other, position all of us to make sure that the wealth wheel continues to turn in our favor. When that happens, we are able, just by connecting our stories, to elevate the standard of business in our communities, in our industries, and our world to a new standard of business that leads to an expansive definition of wealth at every level. This rising tide post our inherited 400 year journey can lift all ships to a position of wealth that our parents, our grandparents, and our great grandparents could only dream of. All it takes is a truthful conversation about where you've come from, how you got to where you are, and how far down the road to wealth do you anticipate going? We have inherited the opportunity to make the dreams of our grandmothers and great-grandmothers that we have inherited realities. When we think about taking time to heal, one of the things that I learned was that in this amazing book by Babbitt Rothschild called The Body Remembers, is that yes, trauma can move like a spirit from one generation to the next, but trauma is the ability to go back to the pain point of hurt and feel like it just happened even if it may not have happened to you. The taking time to heal that I'm asking you to do is remembering what happened, but remembering that it happened then and not now. And then remaining in that truth to help recognize that it definitely can't happen right now. 
Because of our shared legacy, you are wiser and now stronger in different ways than those who came before you. In my Legacy Wealth cohorts, what I encourage people to do is to look back and learn. Appreciate the journey that came before you and commit to applying the lessons to the journey ahead. Do not look back and feel. Taking time to heal from the realities we inherited as Black women, given the role of birthing economies for generation after generation after generation, is something the evolution of sisterhood must make as a mandate. We must heal ourselves from the hurts of the journey that we've inherited so that we can heal our communities of the hurts that they keep experiencing on a road that we have traveled for too long. The second roadblock that I choose to share with you today in the evolution of sisterhood has a lot to deal with the lines that divide us. There are so many lines that I found that divide Black women. And my prayer is that we will commit to crossing those lines and choose to come together to close this divide. We are better together. The African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, we have to go together is so true when it comes to wealth because wealth is a group process. Now, there are lines along every road and every road has barriers and boundaries and every road has different lanes. Some lanes take you forward. Some lanes take you backwards. Some lanes are a lane where you can go fast and some lanes are for those who prefer to take it slow. Some lanes are for people who like to switch lanes and navigate in and around other people to speed up the progress in which they are traveling. And some lanes take you on an off-ramp, an on-ramp, and a bridge that goes in a different direction. We all have our lines, our bridges, and our roads in our enclaves and our networks. The lines within our circles of sisterhood are the ones that I pray that we start to unite across. Because what I also found in my research is that the 80-20 rule applies to so many things in our community. Now, the 80-20 rule, if you're not familiar with it, was taken from Italian economist Vilfredo Pareto when he noted a connection with population and wealth. He noticed that 80% of Italy's land was owned by 20% of the population. And he found in his studies that other countries had similar distribution. In America, however, 1% of the population owns more wealth than the entire middle class. So the Pareto rule does not apply to wealth in broader America, but it definitely applies to business relationships. Remember along the narrow road, Business is a series of relationships that get increasingly intimate as they exchange more and more value. These business relationships are structured 80% the same and only 20% different. 80% of our lives as a business is really what we have in common. We all must create a life with our time and our talents. We all must build a lifestyle that houses our treasure and what matters. We all must find some way to grow independent with ownership of something. And we all must either consciously or unconsciously leave a legacy that can pass on for generations. The lines that I found that often keep us separated black women reside in the hidden aspects of our relationships with each other. Our perspective of what matters in the business of our lives is where we differ in the structure of our relationships. What has the most impact? What is worth saving? What is worth spending? What is worth investing in? What is worth keeping? And what is worth letting go of? The evolution of our sisterhood requires a different degree of unity, one that harnesses the power of our socioeconomic productivity. When we think about the levels of African-American women's attainment and education, let's cross the line from acquired knowledge to applied knowledge and change some things that need to be changed in our personal lives and our collective community. When we think about the fact that a woman's journey is a long road beyond retirement, let's cross the line 
from storehouses of knowledge inside of retirees to unearthing that hidden treasure in the boardrooms of our communities. When we think about the great heights we have reached despite challenges and roadblocks, let's cross the line from the pursuit of opportunity to remain where we are to a collective pursuit of responsibility to sustain where we are. Along my jolly journey, I witnessed women who earned well above the ultra high net worth line and have a net worth that resembles the same as a woman who barely makes it beyond the poverty line. The difference in these women's access was diluted in their bottom line. I found that women who make less know how to do more with less. And women who make more know how not to do more with the more that they have. And so as a result, we all can learn from each other. The top line, which is income, matters little because the bottom line in black women is largely the same. Statistics show that there aren't very big differences in the bottom lines of us black women. With our equity, what our equity looks like, how profitable our lives are, and in financial terms are often hidden in the lines that divide us. Both our history and our present financial situations reveal that we are all in this together. Wealth is a group process. And so this means that powerful things happen when we close the gaps between us to allow them to happen. My mother and her generation often talk about how they want a golden girl's experience in retirement. How about having a golden girl's experience in retirement, in our peak 40 years of employment and beyond? I'm currently working with a beautiful cohort of black wealth builders in Omaha, and we are seeing this reality every day where regardless of what you make, it's really what you keep that matters. And getting to a place of confidence to keep more of what you make is best done in the company of those who desire the same outcome. Determining the ways in which you can keep more of your bottom line in your line of sight is a road that can unite us together, regardless of what your top line looks like. The next line that I'd like us to unite across is a generational line. The ability that when your grandmother, the reality that when your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, embedded within both of them, was also the promise of you. Three generations grow and develop together with one seed, nurtured nine months to reap a harvest that can pass on for three generations. How do you like that math? In 2006, I did a six-month study between mothers and daughters and grandmothers. I found that if you're blessed to be a mother and then blessed to be a grandmother, you have the opportunity to build, grow, and expand change for generations. What I found in my research is that grandmothers love their daughters and their granddaughters. And this circle of love generates different wealth opportunities. For a grandmother, a daughter is their return on investment of their time, their energy, and their youth, and really their lifetime. Their granddaughters represent a return on equity because it's stored up now and ready for the womb work miracle working power of another three generations of possibilities. Every mother that gets to be a grandmother, every auntie that gets to support their nieces, gets a second chance to overcome what they might not have hit the mark on and with the best of their intentions. We all have the opportunity to try it again with the second and the third generation and as a result, influence the fourth generation. The relationship between granddaughters and grandmothers is different than the relationship between mothers and daughters for this reason. Think about how powerful and accelerated our wealth journeys could be when we stayed connected across generational lines, recognizing that each other, at recognizing each other's every turns on investment and equity, we are all in a legacy wealth reality together. Each of us inherits a generational perspective of what is possible. But as my grandmother would say, each 
generation is weaker and wiser. Each successive generation may not go down the road to wealth the same way as the generation that birthed them or the generation that wants them to birth a new way of living. But each generation navigates the same road, just looking further down the road from different perspectives. When those perspectives unite, powerful, powerful things happen. The wheels of progress begin to turn in unison and wealth gets transferred further and further down the narrow road, now sharpened by our intertwined perspectives. The next line I found was geographic. I want you to think about North, South, East, and West. When I went to Hampton University, you could tell a Houston girl a mile away, just like you could tell a Philly girl, just like you could tell a California girl, just like you could tell a girl from Detroit. Our geographic lines represent an inherited narrative of migration. Both World War I and World War II sparked migration in the Black community. It is important to note that geography, this two-part migration happened in waves. Census data shows the effect of the first migration from 1910 to 1930 came from Blacks navigating the financial wilderness of the Northern and Midwestern cities. The effect of the second migration were upwards of 1.5 million African-Americans between 1940 and 1970 left the South their journeys navigated mainly to Western and certain Southern cities. The second migration affected the lives of African-Americans more than the first. The second pursuit for economic uplift navigated the uncharted territories of the Midwest, Detroit, and Chicago. I want you to trace your legacy back to when and where your family migrated and see how your geographic perspective is an inherited lens through which you look at what is valuable. Before the pandemic, I was a BME fellow. I got the honor to sit at a table with a room of men and women from Detroit. In 2018, I also cohorted, co-hosted a 12-month Black Male Equity Initiative in Detroit. Can I tell you, the men and women from Detroit are powerful, strong people. I find when you think about the narratives inherited from the waves of migration from the South to the North and where your families chose to migrate, I want you to recognize that that leaves an imprint on your relationship with money and your definition of wealth. That pattern in your history tells a part of your inherited story of how you create a way out of no way to pursue what is the promise here in America. The actions of our ancestors gave way to opportunities to build and rebuild upon the promise everywhere we go. Powerful, powerful things happen when you know where you came from and you know where you're going. So take a look at your geographical pieces of your inherited legacy narrative. And when you sit alongside a woman who says, I'm from New Orleans, who says, I'm from Philadelphia, who says, I'm a fourth generation Philly girl, as I claim, who says, I'm from North Carolina, who may say, I'm from San Francisco, or I'm from LA. I want you to recognize that they are sharing a piece of their legacy narrative that shows you hidden treasure in their journey to wealth their way. The last dividing line that I'll share with you that I want us to cross is this inherited distance from the business around our hard work. As Black women, we have inherited a narrative of working hard, but making less. I invite you to see this part of our inherited legacy from a different perspective. I want you to see that Black women have inherited a unique cross-generational proven ability to make a way out of no way, even though our society may discount our efforts. We have been, are, and will continue to reap harvest in places that only we know where the roads lead to opportunities for growth that are often hidden in plain sight. Let's together pave those roads with a business model that elevates our standard of getting things done to the seat at the equity table. The Underground Railroad needs to have a plainer view. We need to elevate our standard from underneath the equity table 
to at the table. What I'm saying is let's put a business model around our inherited ability to get the impossible things done. Let's move the definition of winning beyond being able to afford the dinner at a hotel we do not own to a shareholder relationship with establishments that desire to do business with us, not just for us. Now, as I shared with you before, there were five roadblocks and I shared what I shared with you just now were just two. One is the ability for us to take time to heal from our inherited traumas. And the other is the ability for us to unite across the lines that divide the road that we are to navigate to build wealth as we define it. What I did along the narrow road was to embed these five roadblocks in the journey to wealth for women. After the patterns revealed themselves, I honestly didn't know what to do with it. I had friends, but I was not a part of a sorority or a women's group. And so I'll never forget when I first talked about the roadblocks. I was invited to speak at a regional Mocha Moms conference in Atlantic City by this fantastic leader who I was had the chance opportunity to meet. This had to be 2012. Back in those days, it was rare to have a screen and a big fancy keynote presentation like I do now when I keynote conferences. So before we had these big fancy screens and wonderful projections and everything was on video, I would come to a keynote with my speech in my hand, printed out on paper. Oftentimes I would get so nervous when they would introduce me that I would just stop listening for my cue to come on the stage and just start praying. Sometimes I would hear God say, could you please leave that speech on your chair and just walk up to the dais? And that's when I would get uber nervous because I had prepared so much research and it was all on my paper. And while I knew it was in me, I had no idea how it would come out in the moment. But time after time, it did. At the first Mocha Mom keynote in Atlantic City in 2012, I got up there with my speech, but I didn't begin it the way I had written it, similar to how Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in his I, I Have a Dream speech didn't share what was on his paper. If you look at Stanford's website and read the original speech that was written for Dr. King, the I Have a Dream speech, you will recognize that the reason why we even know the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream was because of a powerful sister named Mahalia Jackson, one of the very few women who were on the dais in the March on Washington. Mahalia Jackson was Dr. King's friend and confidant, and Dorothy Height was Dr. King's fellow leader and strategist in the movement. These were the two women in close proximity to that momentous event. Mahalia Jackson was not only close enough to hear her friend Dr. King forever transform what a dream would mean to our nation and the black community. She was close enough and courageous enough to be able to interrupt that black man in the middle of one of the most important speeches of his life. And because she didn't just know what he prepared, she also knew about the purpose of the time and the purpose of that man in that time, she knew what she had to do. How many black women recognize that when you're able to see the bigger picture that we're posing for, you're able to look beyond yourself. You're able to see that life is so much more than a moment, but in that moment, you must make sure that it leaves an impression on a lifetime. If you say yes, then you too understand the bigger picture of the transformative times that we are living in. Black women, we need to say what we got to say to be able to make sure that this moment leaves an imprint for lifetimes. If you can say that, yes, I have a message. Yes, I'm not afraid to be disruptive. Yes, I'm going to say what I got to say. Then Mahalia Jackson and you have something in common. You are both comfortable with the evolution of sisterhood. Mahalia Jackson interrupted a black man in the middle of a prepared speech in which you know he was nervous. What she said changed the game for all of us. She said, tell him about your dream, Martin. Tell him about your dream. 
When I read that, I committed to encouraging any black man I could to speak the words in their heart that are often not on the paper because they are just as potent and meaningful. Along my jolly journey, I had the blessings to interview over 3,900 African-American men. There's a lot of things that are left unsaid in the legacies and the stories of our black men. Women, sometimes we need to say what we have to say so that we can hear what we need to hear from our men. My dissertation was the convergence of faith and finance. It connected the dots between the moment that I just discussed when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King shared a dream of going to a mountaintop and looking over. And in that moment, he self-identified as a Moses. And he looked over into the promised land for African-Americans in America and saw that that promise was equality. I connected that black man's moment to another black man's moment 40 years later, when then presidential candidate, now two-term President Obama said, we live in a Joshua era and that this was a Joshua generation. My dissertation was an existential exegesis of Joshua 1 through 12. What that means is I asked over 7,000 black people if the distance between these two moments revealed our social political climate. What is the promised land? How do we fund it? And how do we get there together? The last question was, what, if anything, do you need to learn to feel confident of your pursuit? The patterns and the research are now what is now the narrow road. When I stood on that dais in front of those beautiful women of Mocha Moms, I did not start my speech the way I had written it. My memories of the five roadblocks I had found in Black women's movements across the last four turns of the wheel led me to a very similar place as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I, too, did not say the things on my paper, feeling led to share what was on my heart. I remember hearing myself say, I found five roadblocks along the road to progress for Black women, and I'd like to ask you to journey with me to figure out a way to be able to overcome them. From that speech and the responses to the roadblocks of those beautiful women in that auditorium in Atlantic City led to keynotes across the country asking the same questions of Black women I admired. I continued my journey and asked women across this country to prioritize the roadblocks and share what we felt we could overcome in our lifetime. Based on the answers, I got very clear about the power of the evolution of sisterhood I decided to turn the 400-year journey as we moved over into 2020 and beyond to this next decade into a commitment to revisit that research and invite women to join the journey with me to identify ways in which we will overcome in our lifetime the roadblocks that keep us wandering in patterns in the financial wilderness so close but still yet far from our shareholder seat in the wealth we create and build for others. And so Black women, what I have to offer is a call for you to take full possession of your womb working power, to work together to figure out ways in which we can connect the dots of this powerful evolution of sisterhood, to include an elevation in the standard of our business of spending, saving, and investing in progress. We can do what we've been called to do. What we've already done is a perfect landscape for what is possible. And so looking at the now 100 plus year old institutions called sororities, National Council of Negro Women, and a variety of other different women groups of black women who have chosen to remain together and stay as groups of working women, we have an opportunity to learn from them, work with them, support them, and do what must be done to birth a new economy. Coupled with the fact that women are 51% of our society, if we take the time to data mine, what really matters to you, Black women, when it relates to wealth, healing, and unity across the inherited lines that defined us, Lord have mercy. The evolution of sisterhood will change the game for generations. 
And so I have a checklist, which I call a legacy wealth checklist. And I'd love any black woman who feel that now at the time to overcome some roadblocks to take the checklist and see how far down the road you've already come and how far down the road you can work with another sister to navigate. I truly want you all to take inventory of the legacy narratives that you have inherited, what that means, and how far are you ready to go further down the road to wealth your way? I want you to think about your four generations. If I can claim the position of a fourth generation in my turn of the wheel, my personal legacy narrative reveals a broader evolution of sisterhood. It begins with the beautiful woman by the name of Ethel Pearl Watkins, who was a sharecropper, who basically was able to take care of her 17 plus children, one of which was my grandmother, Bessie Pearl Watkins Horn, which is generation two. For me, that second turn of the wheel who decided the Jim Crow South wasn't enough for her, and so she migrated up to Philadelphia, eventually becoming a living maid for Mayor Dilworth and falling in love with a beautiful black man six years her senior and eloping with him to Arizona and ultimately traveling across the seas to Japan to give birth to the third generation, which is my mama, Sylvia Mayhorn Jolly, a mother who then, after going to Girls High in Philadelphia, becoming an oncology nurse, and marrying a beautiful nan by the name of Vincent Cresswell Jolly Sr., her firstborn was Pamela Jolly, which is me. When I connect the dots of the four turns of my wheel, what is revealed is that I come from a strong line of black women who were great stewards, who believed in education, who believed in never giving up. And that's what I pass on to my audiences, my cohorts, and in my keynotes and my client work. When I have to think about the evolution of sisterhood and connect my personal story to the broader narrative, my great-grandmother Ethel Pearl was born in 1899, almost 40 years after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Both Booker T. Washington and Mary McLeod Bethune were establishing and heading their schools at that time. When I think about Bessie Pearl, who in 1923 was born, that was 10 years after the ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha had launched the first black sorority on Howard University's campus, beginning a journey of sororities of black women across the country, venturing into the future like Harriet and choosing to birth what is now legacy networks across the globe that demonstrate the power of sisterhood. The evolution of black sisterhood proves that when women come together and think about things beyond themselves institutions are formed. When Bessie Pearlhorn, my grandmother, was headed to Japan, she would eventually give birth to my mother's while our sisterhood was giving birth to sororities and forming networks across this country for service and equality and economic uplift. When I went to Hampton, the sororities were making another turn of the wheel as the next generation was deciding what would be the future of sisterhood? When my mother, Sylvia Mayhorn was born, Dorothy Height was the national president of Delta Sigma Theta. And when I was born, Shirley Chisholm was running for president. So when we think about the opportunity for the evolution of sisterhood, as we enter in yet another fourth turn of the wheel, may we continue to elevate the standard of our business black women we realized that it didn't just support the need of black women. It actually gave birth to a whole new opportunity to see wealth in a different light, a light that can only shine when one generation passes the torch to the next generation. I praise God for the evolution of black sisterhood. I look forward to knowing how we all can work together to turn our respective wheels of wealth our way. If the four generations choose to continue to elevate the standard in the society that we live in and continue to take the inherited legacy of black women who created a way, built a way, grew a way and expanded a way, then the four wheels can begin to turn and we have a whole new vehicle for change in the evolution of black women. The evolution of sisterhood is such a powerful thing. 
I think that I'm a part of a sorority, which is a group of women that are committed not to leave this world the way they found it. And I encourage you to take a look at the sororities you are a part of. If you are a sorority sister in formal name or a woman who is a part of a sisterhood group that is in your friends and your family network, recognize that you have inherited an opportunity to continue a legacy that has transformed communities, transformed perspectives, and is transforming and understanding what Sojourner Truth meant when she said, ain't I a woman? Being a black woman is a beautiful thing. Being a woman is a unique blessing. Being a woman means you own the power to be able to leave something better than you found it simply by being who you are. So with that, I say, black women continue our legacy. The power, the connection, and the opportunity for you to do what you've been called to do. Do what you are uniquely capable of doing, but let's find ways to do it together. Let's identify the pathways that lead to overcoming our roadblocks, those thorns that stay in our sides so that we can be unhindered, undeterred, and unstoppable. With that, I say, may your journey continue to wealth as you define it. And should you want to find a communion of sisters to be able to chart a path towards greater heights along the road to wealth, consider yourself invited to the Women in Net Wealth Initiative of the Narrow Road at Torch Enterprises. God bless you, Black women. I look forward to seeing you further down the road. Make sure you take time to connect the story of your life to the narrative of our journey, and we will all be better for it. So just so you know, in 2021, I am changing a bit of the strategy for the podcast. I'm going to launch one podcast a month. And that podcast a month will be packed with history about our legacy, our pursuit of wealth, and a segment of the population that I've studied and researched. I'll also have other podcasts of interviews of some amazing people that I'm working with and some amazing things that are being done by wealth builders across this country. So welcome back to The Jolly Journey. I'm so glad you're here. And I look forward to us pursuing amazing things further down the road. Until next time, please stay safe, healthy, happy, and wealthy. God bless you.